Like Andy mentioned, Isaac is not here this week. He is out on a much-needed study break, and uh, I just wanted to um, ask you to make sure to, to pray for Isaac as he takes some time to study uh, and reflect and, uh, and just refill the tank a little bit. We have got to let him do that every once in a while, so do be praying for Isaac. One of the great uh, benefits is that we get the opportunity to hear from some other folks up here, um, and today we get to hear from Jared Stevens. He is planning a church with a team of pastors um, in Chicago. It is called Soul City Church. Um, before that, he was in with a part of a bunch of congregations that we really respect, North Point and Willow Creek. Uh, he is a good man and is bringing a message today uh, that is particularly poignant um, uh, for the season that we are in as a church. So would you join me in welcoming Jarrett Stevens? Well, good afternoon. How are you? I'm Jarrett and uh, from Chicago, and my wife Jeannie is there. Uh, this August, we're coming up on our 14th wedding anniversary, which is a pretty big deal. Um, I mean, we got married when we were 12, but the point is, come on. So, the, you know, we've been married for a long time now, and we're on this adventure of a lifetime starting this church called Soul City Church. We have two beautiful, hilarious, exhausting kids. Our son Elijah is four and a half, and he's really into Star Wars, and thank God also soccer, because he's almost a full-fledged nerd. And, uh, and he's so stinking cute, and I just love that kid to pieces. Um, there's real quick is, you know, uh, there's not another service after this. So I'm going to go at least an hour and a half. Um, we had a barbecue for our church a couple, uh, about a month ago. And the first person showed up and he ran and found me. He's like, dad, I need my Darth Vader costume. Cause that's what he was for Halloween. Not only was he Darth Vader, he made his two year old sister be Darth Vader as well. But he goes, dad, I got I got it. I'm like, why? He's like, dad, I just need it. So like we went up and got him in his Darth Vader costume and he spent the rest of Memorial Day like it's just sweating hot in this Darth Vader costume at the barbecue. When you see Darth Vader eat a hot dog, it's one of the cutest things you've ever seen in the world. So he's on his way to being a full-fledged nerd. And then we have um, our daughter Gigi. Her name's Genevieve Grace, uh, but we call her Gigi and she fully embodies all that you'd expect a Gigi to be. Uh, her nickname, one of her many nicknames is the Chunky Diva, um, which is what we call her. We also call her the letter S because she, she can get this out and this out like nobody's business. I mean, she looks like the letter S. It's really amazing the way that she rocks it. And I'm like, you know what? Rock it while you can. Go for it. Like, do that. Because one day you won't be able to control whether you're rocking that or not. So those, that's our family. We're in Chicago right now, and we are on the adventure of a lifetime, starting this church from scratch. And it's so good for me to be in a church like this this weekend because I actually know about your church. Some of our closest friends live here in Orlando. And so we've been down here a lot over the last five, six years. And to hear the story of what God's doing through this church. And I, I don't know where you're at on uh, how long you've been around this church, but this really is a special place. And I'm not just saying that. I mean, I already know about your church. So it's an honor for me to be with you. And it's an honor also for me because now I'm in a season where we're starting a church from scratch. And so I come to a place like this, and I've just got so many questions. I want to learn and just taking it all in. Literally, I'm actually, I'm back in the offices taking as many sort of, you know, like office supplies, staplers. You'd be amazed what you can fit in a carry-on bag, you know? It's, I, I got my eye on that speaker for afterwards. So, like, my church is really glad I'm here this weekend. They're like, go, go preach at as many churches as you can and make it Christmas when you come back. So, uh, it's really fun to be here. Uh, one of the phrases we have around our church, and we're not even officially started yet. We don't really officially get rolling until this fall. But one of our phrases is, uh, every person of faith deserves a great faith adventure is that every person of faith deserves a great faith adventure that, contrary to popular opinion, you were not created for comfort. 
you were not created to be a spectator, that you are invited to participate in the movement of God in this world and his transformational love as it is changing this world and hopefully changing your life. And so, you know, I don't know if you've experienced that or not. I'm going to talk a little bit more about how I'm experiencing that lately. Um, but I don't know if you've ever experienced that faith adventure. And so let me, let me just say, we'll get to the Bible in a minute. Let me just say this, though. Um, if you have a heart for the city of Chicago, because here's the reality. With a city like Chicago, everyone knows at least like a, a former coworker, a friend, a relative, or a crooked politician that lives there. And so you know, it's one of our chief exports. And so, um, so what... Like, you may have a special love for Chicago. We should talk afterwards because God may be stirring something up for some reason that I'm here and you're here this weekend and there's a way that we can partner together in this adventure. Uh, maybe you just have a love for cities or you just, you love to see when God moves and churches are started. Please come talk to me afterwards. I'd love to talk to you about Soul City and how you can partner with what we're doing specifically to pray for us, maybe even to uh, financially invest in what God's doing through Soul City. And maybe who even knows, talking with a couple afterwards last time, uh, God may be stirring some circumstances in your life where you're going to be moving to Chicago soon and you may not even realize it yet. And we would love to be a part of that adventure with you. So please talk to me afterwards if that is what's certain. And I have no shame in my game. I will give a shameless plug for my church because it's the best church I've ever gone to and it hasn't even started yet. So I, I have no problem talking about that. Uh, one of the things my wife Jeannie says in the process of starting this church is she says this phrase and it's kind of complicated and loaded. She says, uh, I feel like for the first time in my life, I'm really a Christian. I feel like for the first time in my life, I'm actually a Christian. Now, this is complicated because we've both been Christians for a very long time. We've both worked at great churches where, like, it's kind of one of the prerequisites is that you actually are a Christian to work there. We were professional Christians. We got paid to be Christians, okay? So we, we've been Christians for a long time, but we're living in a season now where we are depending on God or at least more aware of our dependence on God. We are expecting God to be who he says he is and to do what he says he would do. We are living in a season that feels so very brand new for us. And we are seeing God's goodness and God's provision in our lives like I don't know if I've ever seen before in my life. I just don't know if I've ever really been a Christian before. And I know I've had a relationship with God for a long time. I just think I've been missing some of, or at least a lot of maybe even who God is and what he's created me for on this earth. Because that raises a really big question. If I feel like I'm really starting to live this life that God has created for me to live, what does that mean to like everything prior to that? Because here's what's interesting. Uh, for those of you who are here uh, this afternoon who are new to the faith thing uh, or, or maybe just checking it out or trying to understand sort of where God fits into everything, you have the tremendous advantage over the rest of us. You may not feel like it when you step into a church. Trust me, on this one you do. Because the craziest thing happens is the longer someone is around a great church or a good church or even a bad church, the longer someone's around Bible studies, small groups, connect groups, more books and stuff you read, the longer you sort of journey, the most amazing trend happens, certainly not for everyone, but for a lot of people, is that their view of God actually becomes smaller and gets more manageable. And that's so much so that to the point where someone gets towards the end of their life, they have a nice little tame God that sort of works for them. And that adventure, that risk, that thrill, that sacrifice of following God, the joy that comes from life in him is all but lost or at least managed to some experiences on Sunday and maybe in the morning. That's it. That's an, that's an amazing tragedy that that could happen, that the longer someone spends around church or Bible studies or small groups, the smaller their view of God can actually get. 
And what we want to do this morning is just blow that out of the water and just say, God, who is it that you really are? And how do I need to see you and experience you in my life? So, so much so that it actually transforms who I am in this world. And I don't know where, where you sort of fall on that spectrum. Today, we're going to be looking at the, this aspect of God that he is both at the same time great and good. That he is great, all-powerful, and that he is good, all-loving. That he is great, unlimited power, and that he is good, unconditional love. That that's the fullness of who God is, at the same time great as he is good. And I don't know, I think I've gone a long time without really living in the fullness of that. One of the best ways to tell sort of what you really believe to be true about God is to listen in on the way that you pray. Because I think, honestly, one of the best litmus tests for what you really believe is, is what you pray. Or, maybe more to the point for you, if you pray. I think the way that we pray, the things that we pray about, if we even pray at all, has a lot to say about what we really, truly believe uh, to be true, to be accurate of God. We may have all the right answers, be able to say all the right things, but what you pray, when you pray, how you pray, says a lot about what you really believe to be true about God. I remember I was, uh, prayer's this really intimate thing. It's this private thing that, you know, you and God do. It's this dialogue, this daily dialogue that you have with God. But it's also something we do with others, that we share with others. And so some of you have a, a tremendous fear of praying publicly because it's just you don't, you're afraid you're going to say the wrong thing or you're not going to sound smart enough. And, and I remember I was in a small group um, with a, a group of guys. And uh, every time I'd come to pray, there's this guy in our group, Eric, who just refused to play by the rules. It was very frustrating. Because everyone knows that when it comes time to pray, one of the first things you do is you close your eyes. The next thing you do is you bow your what? Head. That's right. It's not a trick question. Yeah, there's only a few things you can bow. You can bow your waist. or your... So just bow your head. And then if you want bonus points, you fold your hands. This is, everyone knows this. This is common knowledge. For whatever reason, Eric refused to close his eyes or bow his head when we would pray. And so there's about seven of us guys in this group, and we'd go to pray. And, and you know how it is, because you do it. If you've ever prayed in a group before, every now and then you just got to peek up to see what's going on. <laughs> Am I right? I mean, every now and then, it's not bad. It's not like you're like going to steal anyone's wallet. You just sort of want to see what's going on. And so you'll just kind of give the peek up and then back down. Or some of you are more crafty. You do it through the blinds. You just, <laughs> so it looks like you're really spiritual and you're in this deep time of prayer, but you're just sort of doing the periscope. You're just sort of checking People out. So we do it, right? I don't know why we do it, but we do it. Well, every time I would do that, I would look up, you know, just to do my little peek, and there's Eric. I mean, it's like seeing someone right next to your bedroom window, you know, just sort of like really startles you because you're not expecting that. Everyone's supposed to have their eyes closed. He refused to. He would just sit and watch while we pray. Now, it wasn't like he was mad at God. It wasn't like he would pray as well. When he'd pray, he'd just pray with his eyes open. It was very disorienting, very, you know, maybe very sort of uncomfortable. But he was listening in on and hearing our prayers in maybe a way that I couldn't even hear because I was so used to the ritual and the routine. If you stopped and thought about what it is that you most recently, the last time you really prayed with God, whenever that may be, what was it you prayed for? How did you pray? What did you pray about? Did you, how long has it even been? What's the language that you use when you pray? Because it reveals what you believe to be true about God. I have a friend, John, who writes about the word just when we pray. It's the Christian alternative for the word um. 
when we pray. Because if you've ever listened to someone when they pray, it is staggering how many points we get on the board with the word just. I mean, have you ever listened? God, we just want to come to you. We just want to ask you, God. We just trust you, God. We just, God, what we just, if you would just, God, if you would just move, it's really uncomfortable. And now the next time you pray, you're really going to be messed up over it. That's okay. That's good. We should pay more attention, right? I mean, if you listen to God, if you would just, God, if you would just, it sounds like a really bad Woody Allen impression. Like, God, I would just, if you would just, just this once, God, just this one, I know I only have three wishes. I mean, that's sort of what, because what we're saying is honestly, whether we mean it or not, or even realize it or not is, God, I don't want to bother you. I know you're busy. So I'm just going to ask for this one thing. I'll be out of your way. I promise. I'll be just this one thing. I'm just going to slide it across the table. Just this one thing, God, you just, this, that's, that's what we're, saying is that we don't really believe that we can stay and sit and rest in the presence of God or that we doubt that he actually can do all those things. So we're just going to ask for this, just this one thing. Do you see what I mean? The way that we pray, if we even pray at all, has a lot to say about what we believe to be true about God. And this morning, uh, or this afternoon, we're going to sit in on a prayer of David. My friend Eric is going is to sit in on a prayer from King David and we're going to see, we're going to sit in on and listen to the um, revelation, to the making known, to the reality of a God who is both great and good at the same time. The fullness of who God is, is recorded and captured in this intimate prayer that we have of David's that we get to read together. So if you have a Bible, please open to Psalm 145. We're going to live for a second and the greatness of God. What does it mean to know a God who is great, who is all-powerful, who can do anything and everything he says that he will? Psalm 145. This is like kind of right in the middle. Psalm 145, verse 1. Listen to some of these words that David declares about the greatness of God, how he lives into the reality of the greatness of God. Verse 1, he says, I will exalt you, my God, the King, that's interesting. Even just let's pause right there because I'm going to do some pauses here. He says, my God, the king. David was a king, one of the greatest kings to ever rule. He says, no, I will praise you, my God, the king. I'm a king, you're the king over all kings. And so he says, I will praise you, my God, the king. I'll exalt you. I'll praise your name forever and ever. Verse two, every day I will praise you. And those of you who have your Bibles, what's the next word? And what? Extol. How many of you have the word extol in your Bible? Okay, this is one of those awesome Bible-y words. It says, I will extol your name forever and ever. We read that. If you've read the Bible a, a little bit, you can just read right past a word like that and have no idea what it means. That word extol is not something, we haven't used that in conversation for like, I don't know, a millennia. I mean, I was like, did you see Toy Story 3? Yeah, I just want to extol Pixar. I just, I want to crown them with many crowns. Like, it's one of those Bible-y words that we don't really understand fully maybe the meaning of. And what extol means is, is to literally to make known, to bring up and bring out to the world to see, to put on high. I want to extol, to make known your name forever and ever. Verse 3, because great is the Lord and most worthy of our praise. His greatness no one can fathom. He's so great, we don't even know how to understand his greatness. One generation commends or tells of your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak, listen to this, of the glorious splendor of your majesty. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty. And I will meditate, I will think about, I will reflect on your wonderful works. 
They tell of the power of your awesome works, and I will proclaim your great deeds. What we see here as we get to sneak in on this prayer of David is he has a God who is great, great in who he is and great in what he does. This is a God who can. And David is making that known. God, I want to make known that you are great and everything you do is great. So great that we don't even have words to describe your greatness. And if you were to open this book and read through this book, you would see again and again and again, there are stories of God's greatness that are revealed all throughout this book. You see God do things that only a great God can do. And he does them again and again and again and again. He is great in all of who he is and all of who he, all of what he does. God is great. So great, in fact, that you don't even have to open the Bible to see his greatness on display. It surrounds you. And I just think so often our heads are just down in our own circumstances and our own sort of things that heavy and weigh on our hearts. And so we don't even see the greatness of God as it's on full display all around us, not only in the Bible, all around you. So let's Google Earth this for a second, all right? Zoom all the way out and just consider for a second the universe that our tiny little planet sits in. The smartest people on our planet are building the biggest telescopes on this planet and already admit we'll never be able to see to the end of the universe. That it just keeps going and going and going. And we are a tiny, infinitesimal dot in the midst of this vast universe that God spoke into being with a word. It's there. But he didn't just leave it alone. He takes care of it. In fact, Colossians 1 tells us that he actually holds it all together. That's how great God is. All that's happening in galaxies and universes that you will never even know about till heaven. It's all happening. God is so great. We can't even see to the end of his greatness. It's on display every night. Every night it's on display for us to see as we get a tiny glimpse into the greatness of God. Zoom back into this earth. The greatness of God is on display at all times. The fact that the sun rose today exactly when it was supposed to and it will set today exactly when it's supposed to and it hasn't really messed up since the world was created because God has kept it going it displays his greatness that the seasons come and the seasons go in perfect timing all of it revealing the greatness of God every detail of how our worth like our world works in these rhythms these seasons these cycles and I know that's hard for you in central Florida because you have a season it's called hot I get it it's called actually humid I get it I'm from Chicago. We have seasons up there. We have eight that are great and, and four, you know, five or six that are awful. I get it. Like during winter, that season, God leaves Chicago. I think he, he goes to Boca. I don't know where God goes. He's not in Chicago. We know what seasons are like. And guess what? They happen every year in perfect rhythm, just as God created and intended and causes them to do. You want to get a glimpse of the greatness of God at work in our world? Read the last half of the book of Job. Just the entire last half of the book of Job where God declares, this is what I'm actively doing on this planet every day, whether you even realize it or not. And every now and then we get glimpses into that. 
into God's physical creation, into the beauty of it. And maybe you just need to get out a little bit more to see God's greatness in creation, like, you know, past the mall and, you know, get out to a place where you're surrounded by God's greatness and let yourself be humbled by his creation and who you are in the midst of that and who you are in the midst of him. And there are places you can go that really help you get a sense of God's greatness. One of those is the Grand Canyon. Um, just by show of hands, how many of you guys have been to the Grand Canyon? Let me see. Oh, good. Okay, so like half. So for the other half of you uh, after the service today, road trip. Uh, Grand Canyon. Beautiful, right? I mean, it's gorgeous, right? And so uh, years ago, we hadn't, my wife hadn't been there. I'd been there a couple times as a kid. She'd never been there. We were driving across country from California to Chicago. It was the first week of January, so there was a lot of snow on the ground. And snow is this um, white stuff that, well, I'll tell you about it afterwards. I'll tell you about it afterwards. So, so a lot of snow. And for those of you who've been around snow before, you know how when there's a lot of snow, how it, how it really dampens the sound? you know, really silences and stills things. It's really beautiful. And so we're driving and, and realize that she's never seen the Grand Canyon. So I'm like, oh, you need to see the Grand Canyon. It's beautiful. Even with all the snow, it's beautiful. And so you know how it is for those of you who've been to the Grand Canyon. You don't just swing by the Grand Canyon. Like you get to the entrance of the park and it's still another 45-minute drive. Most amazing thing is we're driving there in our little 88 Honda Prelude, you know, getting a little sideways here and there as we're driving there. We don't see a single car the entire way there. We don't see another person our entire drive into the parks. So now I'm going, all right, this is going to be our Grand Canyon right now. It's like a, I don't know, I'm just trying to like figure out how I can, you know, make it a romantic experience. It's the Grand Canyon, but I'm desperate, and so I got to do what I got to do with my wife. So, you know, I'm like, all right, this is going to be beautiful. It's going to be romantic. It's going to be just us. And when you know it, like we pull up to the spot where we're going to park. After 45 minutes of not seeing a single person, and there's like this old beat-up Volkswagen minibus. Remember that, like the old VW buses? And it's not like old cool. It's old, old. And, uh, and next to it are these hippies that are just standing there next to their bus wrapped up in a, I don't know, a peace blanket. I don't know. It's, it can't be a normal blanket. And I'm so frustrated, to be honest, because I'd built up in my head. I was like, oh, it's going to be just us. We're just going to have this moment with just us. And then I see the hippies, and I'm like frustrated at first. But I'm like, well, I get it. I mean, this land is my land. This land is your land. So... <laughs> I'll share the Grand Canyon with you. And so, you know, but we don't say anything. We get out of our car and we're standing next to it. And, and these are powerful moments. If you've been anywhere like this where you just see God's creation on display for you, you don't really know what to do totally. I mean, you know what I mean? It's like, do I throw a coin in? I don't know. Like, probably not. And so, you know, we're just sort of standing there in the cold and it's so quiet because of all the snow. And we're staring out at the Grand Canyon, you know, just taking it all in. And not a word spoken to the hippies at this point. And uh, they're maybe five feet away from us. And so we're just kind of looking, staring. And after about two minutes or so, the hippies did the most amazing thing. They, um, they opened their blanket up to us and kind of gave us one of these. Just a little, hey, just come over here. And keep in mind, there's no one else at the Grand Canyon. And so it's not like I can defer to the person next to me. Like, <laughs> the hippies want you. I can't. And you can't say no because that's just rude, and there's nowhere really to go. If like, no, I'm good. We're just going to shiver here. I'm good. <laughs> so I'm kind of looking at Jeannie, and, you know, we look at the hippies, and we're just like, let's go. So we, we wrap ourselves up, and now we're sort of spooning with the hippies, looking, because <laughs> it's not a big blanket. And I think I'm getting a contact high. I'm not exactly sure what is all happening in the moment, because it's happening so fast. And I didn't think I'd be cuddling with hippies when I woke up that morning. 
and this is a very true story. We're wrapped up in a blanket, and we still haven't spoken to each other. So we're just standing there with the hippies, and it's good. It's good. you know, just taking it all in. And, and we stood there for two or three minutes, just wrapped up in the peace blanket with the hippies, and I don't know, maybe we made some life oath with them. I have no idea exactly what happened in that moment. And so we kind of thanked them, and, you know, we got in our car and left the hippies alone, and... And I don't know where those hippies, I don't know where they were at in that moment when it comes to God and their awareness of God, but I know exactly where I was at in that moment. Because I was in the midst of the greatness of God. And it was on full display. And it felt like it was just for me. Have you ever had those moments where you just catch a sunset or you catch a moment in creation where you go, I think this is just for me. God, you are so great that this is happening And I don't even know if anyone else is noticing it, but you're going to do it anyway. God's so great. His greatness is not contained just to the Bible. It's not contained just to the universe. It's not even contained just to our physical creation around you. Your body itself is a revelation of the greatness of God because it is so intricately detailed, handcrafted by God himself, that your physical body is a revelation of the greatness of God. Now, it may not work like you want it to work. It may not look like you want it to look. But the fact that you've taken all these breaths over the last few minutes, the fact that your heart has continued to pump and cleanse blood and send it all throughout your body. I mean, you just think about all that's going on in your body that you're not even aware of that reveals God's great detail and attention to you. You think about the fact that what your eyes are doing right now is you're wa- your eyes are watching me and perceiving who I am. Your ears are actually hearing the words that I'm saying. And at the same time, your brain is processing how can someone so young and so handsome have such words of wisdom for my life? Because that's how God made you. I understand that. Like the complexity of all of this is a revelation of the greatness of God. And you probably haven't even stopped because you are so dissatisfied with your body that you probably haven't stopped in a while to say, hey, you know what, God? I don't like this. I don't like this. I don't like this. But you know what? You're great because I'm still here. And if that's not enough in the midst of all of the intricacy and complexity of the human body, in the middle of it, God gives you a soul. Sets you apart from all other creation. You have a soul that's been put there by God to connect to him, to know him, to be transformed by him, to have relationship with him. He's that great. And his greatness is on full display 24 hours a day, seven days a week. The question is whether or not you and I are going to recognize it. Whether we're going to stop like David and say, wait a second, let me just stop and tell you, God, how great you are. Let me just tell you in this moment, God, you are so great. God, you are so great. God, this that you do is so great. Who you are is so great. And then like David, to be able to ask great things of a great God. And this is perhaps to my own shame. I so often, uh, in my own cynicism, honestly, it's a little bit of pessimism and none of us who are pessimists like to be called pessimists. We would much rather be called realists, because that's what we are. And in some ways, to my own shame, I take God off the hook because I don't believe at times he can really do the big things that he and only he can do. And so I pray small prayers. And there's nothing wrong with those prayers. And those prayers are important and God hears them and they matter to God. But 
So many times I cut him off at the pass and don't even give him the opportunity, the acknowledgement, the expectation to be as great as he says he is and to do great things in my life. Why would I want to ask God for anything less than his best? And yet so often I do. Because I don't want to bother him. I don't want to inconvenience him. Ultimately, at the end of the day, I don't really believe that he can. And maybe you have been praying a prayer for so long that your heart, if you're being honest, has just gotten jaded and cynical. And you sort of shored yourself up there because you just don't know if God can anymore. Because you've prayed for that child for so long. You've prayed for that spouse that God would break and change their heart for so long. You have prayed that God would heal that person that you love so much. And you've prayed this prayer and he has not moved like you would want him to. And this is really deep, complex stuff where the realities of our world come into contact with the realities of who God is. And are we willing to live into and to trust in the greatness of God? A God who actually can. I don't know if he will. I don't know how he will. But I do know that he can. Because he is great and everything he does is great. And so why wouldn't I ask the biggest, the greatest of him? Why wouldn't I? Why wouldn't I start there? I would much rather, I would much rather go to my grave asking God to move in big ways, to change hearts, to change lives, to heal. I would much rather go to my grave asking than go to my grave having let God off the hook for the most of my life and the majority of my prayers. Maybe what you need to do today is there's been some things that, um, you've quit, you've given up on God about because you're just not convinced that he can. And you need to pray, God, you start this prayer, God, I believe you can because you're great. I believe you can because you are great. And I put my faith in that. I believe you can because of who you are and because of what you do. Don't know if you will, don't know how you will, but I do believe that you can because as my four-year-old son says, God has all the power. Because I believe God, you've got all the power and I believe you're great. It's the greatness of God that um, inspires us, right? When we catch it, it's the greatness of God that amazes us when we see it. But it's the goodness of God that humbles us. It's the goodness of God that breaks us and brings us to our knees. The goodness of God and the greatness of God must go hand in hand. They simply must go together because a great God who is not good is merely just a God to be feared. He's the God of legalism. He's the God of rules and religion. That God is not a loving God. That God is out to get you. And many of you have known that God for a long time. But a good God who is not great is really nothing more than hallmark sentimentality and nice little slogans and bumper stickers. That's not a powerful God. We like this warm and fuzzy God, but he doesn't have the power. Our God is actually a God who is good and great. A God who can and a God who cares, who cares, who cares, who cares. Unlimited power, but unconditional love. That is who God is. And I've gone too many years of my life not living in and expecting God to be both great and good. My wife has an amazing, an amazing way of capturing this. 
She has an amazing way of calling out to and depending on the goodness of God. And it reminds me a lot, we're going to jump back into this text. It reminds me of the way that David prays. Listen to how he prays. It's, it's very, um, it's beautiful and it's humbling and it's centering to go from a God who is so great to a God that is good. And I thank God for my wife and the way that she even calls this out in my life. Listen to how David calls this out in our life. Psalm 145, jump down to verse 14. Listen now to the goodness of God. David says that the Lord upholds all who fall, all who fall. He upholds all who fall and lifts up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food at the proper time. In other words, you meet their needs. You open their hand. This is verse 16. So not only do you meet their needs, verse 16, you open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. So God, you not only meet our needs, but you give us right desires and then give us those desires. It's amazing to see the goodness of God on display. Verse 17, the Lord is righteous in all he does and faithful. It means he can be trusted in all he does. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry and he saves them. Why? Because God is good. And I need to be reminded of this. I need to be reminded of God's goodness. I'm seeing it now more. The more I'm aware of my dependence on God, the more I'm seeing his goodness in my life. And when we were moving from uh, Atlanta to Chicago, um, my wife had made a list beforehand calling out the goodness of God. She'd made a list of what she wanted in the home that we were going to move into. We built our dream home in Atlanta. We built this awesome house. We had a great job, great house, all that kind of stuff. And then we felt like God was calling us to start this church in Chicago. And out of obedience, we said, okay, God, we will. So Jeannie said, look, God, here's the deal. Um, we've never made a greater sacrifice than this in our life. And we are living on less than we've ever lived on and giving more back to God and away to others that uh, we believe in. And so, God, you just got to do this. You got to give us a great home. And she wrote out in detail what she expected God to provide in our home. And it's a little uncomfortable for me. Because she was as specific as, God, here's what we need. We need a carpeted basement where our kids can make a mess and play all day. God, we need a patch of grass. We need a yard where our dog can make a mess and play all day. God, we need a two-car garage. Two-car garage, okay? God, we need to have, I want a win. She described the kitchen almost to, like, to the dimensions. I need a window above the sink, God, where I can look out and reflect and meditate on you. Literally, she made that detailed of a list. And it was about like a page long. And it made me uncomfortable because ultimately, I doubt that God can move that specifically, that good. I'm like, honey, I don't think that house exists in Chicago. I don't think that house exists on HGTV. Like, this is very specific. And so a month before we moved up there, we went to Chicago to find a place to live. And um, we tried and tried to sell our house in Atlanta. We put it on the market, tried for six months to sell it. I don't know if you guys have heard this. We're, we're in a rough housing market right now. I don't know if you knew that or not, but it's true. And some of you know the pain of putting a house in the market and it just doesn't sell. And you go into this crisis of, oh, great, God, great, that's great. Thanks, God. And then you have friends who come to you like, you're not going to believe it, our house sold. And, you, just, and you're like, you have friends who are like, we didn't even put it on the market. Someone just came and gave me a bag of money. And it's like, you know, it doesn't help in those moments because you're like, that's great. 
that's great, because my house hasn't sold. And it didn't sell, so we, we ended up finding these great renters, and so they're in our house now in Atlanta, and so we have to rent a house in Chicago. And it's awesome being where we're at with our budget. And, you know, the city's expensive, and so, like, what we can afford is just comical, okay? So we go and we spend a day, a month before we're supposed to move, looking for places. And, you know, some of these places, I'm just trying to imagine, like, I don't think I would live here when I was, like, single. I can't imagine living here with my wife and kids. You know, I'm just walking around like, um... Does the dead Rottweiler come with a place? Or do we, do we have to pay more for that? Is that included? And so, I mean, it was just intense. It wasn't that bad, but it was intense. And so we finally found this place, and it was this townhouse. And we were like, you know what? Th- this is good. It's within our budget, and we can sort of afford it, and we can make it work. And, you know, I felt in my heart, because I knew the list that Jeannie had showed me, um, this discomfort of going, God, I, this isn't it. I mean, this isn't that list, but this is good. And it's good enough, and we're going to move on it because we have to. We have to move, and so we signed all the papers, wrote the check, did the whole thing, you know. And it's like it's discouraging because my wife's an amazing designer and decorator, and this townhouse that we found in Chicago uh, was built in 2000 but decorated in 87, and so it was just it was just bad. It was just bad, and but. It was a place that was within our budget, so we signed everything, wrote the check, and came back down. And we actually, two weeks before we moved, we were here in Orlando with our friends Josh and Beck, and so we, were, we came and stayed with them and their kids and our kids, and we were all going to go to Disney World together one last time before we, before we moved to Chicago. And uh, again, totally true story. We're not even 50 feet into the Magic Kingdom. We're, like, we're at Disney World. We're not even 50 feet in. We're not even to the place where they take your pennies and make beautiful art out of them. We're like... We're not even to rides yet, and I get a call from our guy that was helping us in Chicago, and hey, guys, I got some bad news for you. I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, they rented your place out from underneath you. Like, no, well, no, we signed papers. Like, we gave a check. You can't do that. They're like, yeah, they found someone that would pay more. Sorry, you know, that's Chicago. I'm like, that doesn't help. Like, that's why we're starting the church there. Like, it's, that's messed up, man. That's messed up got some serious integrity issues. And so, and so I'm a wreck. I'm a wreck. We're, we're not even to rides yet. And I'm going into just complete doubt of God's goodness and maybe even his existence. I'm like, see, this is what you get. This is what you get for making a list. This is what you get for living in like this adventure with God. Like I'm losing it, but I'm trying to put on a good face because our kids are there and they're oblivious to this. And we made a vow to our children, to our family, that we will not let our kids suffer for the sacrifice. So I'm putting on a good face, right? I'm like, that's great. And my kids are like, yeah, let's go. They're like, yeah, yeah, let's go ride Buzz Lightyear again. God help me. And so... I'm, I'm serious. I'm a wreck. You ask our friends. I, I lost it a couple times. I had to walk off by myself because I'm like, we're moving in two weeks. And people are moving into our house in Atlanta. And we didn't write in a special clause that says we could stay there and live with them. <laughs> we got to go. And we have nowhere to live. And so we get home. It's around midnight that night from Disney World. And we're at our friend's house. And, you know, just in a wreck. And so we, uh, we did what anyone in that sort of state of... Um, uh, you know, shock and, and, and lack of faith would do. We, uh, we went to Craigslist. We did. We went to Craigslist. And we started from scratch to find a place to live. Two weeks before we moved, by the way. And so we found this house, and it was great, but it was for sale. So we called her the next morning and said, look, would you be willing to rent your house? And we began negotiating with her. And, and we ended up faxing over the next week, a week before we moved, faxing back and forth papers and checks. And we signed a lease for a house we'd never physically seen before because we didn't have time or money to fly back up and look at it. So we just had to trust that it actually was a house and it existed. 
and, and you know, this is Chicago. Um, and so we pull up to the house, and, you know, the day that we moved up there, and it's this, it's this amazing house. It's an amazing house. It was just renovated two years ago. And now, it's in a very, uh, we use uh, the word dynamic. It's in a very dynamic neighborhood. Um, like, it's great. Last week, we had the 4th of July. It's so great that we have a day to do fireworks. Doesn't matter what day it is. It's like, it's Tuesday. They shoot off fireworks. Well, at least we think they're fireworks. I hope they're fireworks. It's just a very, very dynamic neighborhood. Honestly, one we wouldn't have chosen, to be honest. We wouldn't have chosen to live in this neighborhood. And all of our friends are like, oh, you live in that neighborhood? Whoa, wow. But yet God is breaking our heart and opening our eyes to the city that he really loves. And we love our neighborhood. It's challenging. It's dynamic. But we have this beautiful house in this really intense neighborhood. And my, um, my wife, Jeannie, came to me about three days um, after we'd moved in. And, you know, it's boxes everywhere. You know what that's like, right? It's just, it just feels like they're just boxes or making more boxes while you sleep. And it's just a mess. And, and, uh, and we're moving stuff around. And she just comes in tears into the room where I'm at. And, you know, she just starts walking through um, the checklist that I just completely have forgotten about and written God off with. And she just starts checking off. She's showing me all the things that God had done and provided for in this house. This amazing house in this very dynamic neighborhood where God had provided down to the letter what my wife in faith had called out his goodness to do. And I know this sounds like one of those stories that you hear in church, but guess what? You're at church, and this is one of those stories. <laughs> because God is so good that he cares about a carpeted basement. I mean, what, in the grand scheme of the kingdom of God, does that really make a huge difference? You know what? To our family, it does. And God, in his goodness, where we had thought we were going another path, God just redirected us and said, now let me show you how good I am. It doesn't always work according to our terms. It doesn't always work on our timeline. You know that, don't you? That doesn't negate the fact that God is always good in all of who he is and everything he does. He is good. And maybe you have just been afraid because you don't trust that he's good. And so you've been afraid to bring things to him that are very personal to you, things that you would love to share with God, but you just assumed he didn't care about, that you would love to say to God, God, listen, do you understand, God, what it's like for me to still be single? And I go to all my friends' weddings, and God, that loneliness and desperation I feel, God, can you meet me in that? And maybe you just thought God didn't care. Or maybe you've been out of work for so long, now it's, now it's embarrassing. Now it's embarrassing. And you just assume God just gave up on you and moved on. And then you've doubted his goodness to provide not only your needs, but your desires. That he is that good. His timing is always different than ours. His purpose is always better than ours. But underneath it all and behind it all, he is good. There is sin that you've been holding on to. There is a broken relationship that you are in the middle of and you know it. There's an addiction and a pattern. And you had thought that you could keep that from God. 
You thought that you could manage that on your own because your wife doesn't know or your friends don't know and no one else knows. And so you can sort of manage this thing. And the last person you're going to bring it to is God because everything you believe to be true about him is that he will reject you if this were to be known. Here's the amazing thing. It's already known by him. So you can, get, you can cross that off the list. He already knows. And so what would it look like for you to depend on and count on his goodness and come to him and confess and just bring it all to him? God, hear this. God, forgive me of this. Because you are good, God, I know that you will not turn me away, but that you will forgive and heal and restore and make new. Will there be consequences? Of course, there's always consequences. But your goodness supersedes all of that. And maybe for you, the best thing you can pray today and over the course of this next week is, God, I believe you care. I believe you care about this thing that I assumed you didn't. I believe you care about even the small detail of my life. I believe you care about me enough that I can bring my broken, my dark, my tainted, my unfiltered, my unprocessed heart to you, and you actually can make it whole. That because of what Jesus Christ has done, I can not only stand in your presence, in your great presence, I can actually climb up into your lap because you are not only creator God of the universe, you are also my Abba Father. And you are good. You are great and you are good. And I can know you. And as David did, make that known. Count on that in my life. The greatness of a God who can and the goodness of a God who cares. Maybe that's the best prayer you can pray this week. Just to start in one of those places. I don't know where you sort of fall on that spectrum. But I want to give you an opportunity to start right where you're at. If you would say that the greatness of God, really believing and praying big prayers and and asking God to do and be all of he says he is, maybe the greatness of God is something that comes hard to you. What we're going to do right now in this moment is I'm going to ask you to, as best you can, is to kneel forward, to lean forward when we pray here in a second, or if possible, to get down on your knees. It's a posture my wife and I try and take every night at the end of every day as we thank God for all he's done and then we beg him to keep moving. And maybe if you can, you get on your knees and you just say, God, I need to tell you how great you are. I need to acknowledge how great you are. Or God, I need to ask this thing of you once again. I need to ask a big, uncomfortable prayer of you right now. And I believe, it starts with those words, I believe you can. And for those of us who say that, man, this, it's the goodness of God that I doubt because I just haven't seen it move on my terms and my timeline, maybe the best thing for you to do is to sit up as straight as you can or even to stand up because you can actually stand fully in the presence of God and not have anything to fear because of his love. And you can say, God, because I believe you care. I believe you care, and so I'm bringing this to you. This thing I thought you didn't care about. This thing I thought would cause you to reject me. I believe you actually care because you are good. And I'm going to stand up into that. And maybe the best thing you can do for the course of the rest of this week is to actually pray and talk to God. And when you do, to either get on your knees and say, God, I believe you can. Or to stand up and say, God, I believe you care. And so here it is. Here I am. I'm counting on you to be who you say you are. And I'm counting on you to do what you promised you would do. So that's what we're going to do right now. That's what we're going to do. I'm going to ask you, depending on sort of where you're at, to take that position, to lean forward, 
to stand up, to sit up, to get on your knees if possible. And we're just going to take a few moments for you to pray in that place right now. To just, this doesn't, your position doesn't magically give you an antenna to God. It's just a way for you to remind yourself of God's greatness and God's goodness right now. And maybe you just need to spend a few moments just reciting back to God how great and how good he is. And maybe you just need to bring back that thing that you've been afraid to pray or that you gave up praying on right now. So would you go ahead and do that? We're just going to take a few moments to pray. This is just a holy moment now where we are submitting ourselves to and delighting ourselves in at the same time all of who God is. And you know the words you need to bring to him right now. God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you, God, that you are not bound to our limitations, not even bound to our expectations, that you are above and beyond and greater than and better than what we could possibly imagine. We can't fathom your greatness, God. We cannot get to the end of your goodness and your love for us. Oh, God, break our hearts. Break our cold and stubborn hearts. God, turn our backs from you. Turn our faces to you, God. So that we can see just how great and how good you are. And I pray this week, God, that we would muster up the courage to believe that you can and to trust that you care and that it would literally transform not only the way that we pray, but the way that we live. God, we choose you because who else do we have in this world? Who else do we have? Where else will we turn? What else can we do, God, but bring ourselves to a great and good God who has made himself fully available to us through Jesus Christ? Thank you, God. Amen and amen. Thank you guys so much. It's been great to be with you this weekend. Jared, thank you. And thank you all for bringing the church into this room today. Um, The newcomers review is going to be happening right afterwards. Christy Lee will be right there. And uh, she would love to talk to you. There's going to be some folks on my right that would love to pray with you. For now, hear these words of benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, go in God's peace. The service has ended.